0: Number one, honor the deadline. When does the sermon need to be done? I I don't know how many of you are parents in the room, but I sacrificed so many hours on a Saturday away from my children because I didn't feel like the sermon was where it needed to be. And I would end up spending another four to six hours on a Saturday because I felt like it just wasn't good enough. Now in my mind, I was moving the needle forward in a monumental way, but when in fact it was incremental. I thought those extra six hours on a Saturday, like, you know, took my sermon from being like a six out of a 10 to a nine out of 10, when really all it did was make it maybe a 6.1 out of a 10. And the question is, at what cost? My daughter's almost 18 now. She's like, Dad, you would just leave on Saturday. I'm like, oh gosh. Like, I need to honor the deadline. There's one author, he wrote a great book on sermon, prep, uh, Yancey Arrington. He calls it the Saturday night special. It's when you're just like, oh, I got to work on it a little bit more. I just got to work on it a little bit more. You know what? Work really hard throughout the week. And if it's Friday at five o'clock and that's your deadline, stop. Leave it with God. Love your family. Shepherd your people. Honor the deadline.
1: Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 234. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and the very honest voice that you just heard is that of Pastor Tim Chaddick. Tim Chaddick is currently the pastor for preaching at Reality Ventura. Uh, in the past, he has planted Reality LA and then also Reality Church London. We were so excited. To have Tim join us at our most recent training event in Costa Mesa, California. Uh, in the session that you're about to hear, uh, Tim encouraged us to prioritize our reading, to plan our rhythms, and to practice our rules for our own personal spiritual health, for our relational and family well being, and then also for power and clarity in our public proclamation of God's Word. So as you listen in on this recording, you'll notice that it's like short and to the point and packed with honest and insightful wisdom. And if you listen to this and think, man, I wish I could be in the room for this kind of stuff, I specifically wanna invite you to come along to our next training event in Boise, Idaho, October 14th and 15th, 2022. Early bird registration is open And it actually is only $39 for this two-day event. And that includes our workbook, refreshments, and also a a coach or a mentor who's going to be assigned to like small groups of people. And you're going to experience the event together. Uh, This coach is going to lead small group breakouts uh, and also invest in your current or future teaching and preaching ministry. We really want to help you get better and be equipped for a lifelong Bible teaching ministry. Uh, this event is open to men and women of all ages and Christians in all stages and categories of ministry. Uh, that means it's for full-time or bivocational people. It's for lead pastors or women's ministry directors, youth leaders, parachurch ministries, anyone who wants to grow in their personal study and public proclamation of God's word. uh, There's room for you. And and listen, there's room for your team. There's room for that guy that you're mentoring. Uh, There's room for the staff of youth group. Uh, Bring them all We'll do our best to encourage and to equip them for this important Bible teaching ministry. You can check out expositorscollective.com for more details. All right, here is Tim Chaddick on reading, rhythms, and rules.
0: And before I give some principles for sermon prep, a couple of disclaimers. This is in no way an authoritative list. This is, in my opinion, three principles that are essential. I know for me and my sermon prep and for the people I've worked with over the years. Um, The second disclaimer is I'm aware that all of us are in different circumstances. Some of you are full-time in pastoral ministry. Um, You shepherd adult congregations. Um, Some of you might be bivocational. Others are volunteers. Some of you work with young people. You know, across the board, I know that our circumstances look a little bit different, and I'm trying to be mindful of that um, as I share a few of the principles. And they've been true for me in different stages of pastoring. We moved to Los Angeles in two thousand five to plant. We had no staff, and then we had a big staff. and then I went to London through some crazy thought or inspiration of the Holy Spirit or a combination of all of the above. And then we planted again at no staff. and you know i've I've been through the different seasons and times where I had a staff of thirty and then a staff of me. so, There's different circumstances when it comes to your prep. Hopefully, these three principles can be helpful for you. I want to talk about reading, rhythms, and rules. So the first principle for me, I know for the people I work with, that I like to talk about is prioritize your reading. This is so essential for me. In my sermon prep, there is a priority to the resources that I read and the order is important. So when I'm prepping throughout a given week, I start always with the expositional resources. I tend to start with the critical commentaries where I can just get into the language, the history, the author's intent, the original audience. The reason for that is sometimes we get inspired about a theme or a topic or maybe we read this great doctrinal book or a cultural resource and those things are important, but again sometimes we allow our excitement over a topic then drive how we handle a text. But this is a way for me to start with the text. In fact, when I'm taking notes as I read these expository resources, any kind of inspiration I get for the sermon, I put in a separate document. So I'm not tempted to go down that road yet. I just need to wrestle with the text. It would behoove me to say that at the Expositors Collective. So I start with expositional resources, but then getting a grip on the text, I then begin to read doctrinal resources or thematic resources. For example, some of you might be familiar with the New Testament, or sorry, the New Studies in Biblical Theology, the gloriously silver series. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's awesome. And that's where you're going to tie in all the threads. Like, how does this fit in with a larger context of the biblical narrative? How is it Christ-centered? Or maybe it's a topic like atonement, or it's money and possessions, or whatever it might be. I start with the expositional resources. And then, after getting my head around the text, I then move to these doctrinal thematic resources. I personally don't like to listen to other sermons, On the text, because I don't know about you, you're just tempted to like lift, you know, what they say. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I I rarely listen to sermons. For me, it's just, I stick with the commentaries and these doctrinal resources. If you learn otherwise, that's great. But I tend to be very careful about something if I am gonna listen to it. For me, it just works best to stick with this order and to stick with these books. And then I move into the cultural resources. It's the last on my reading list, I do think it's important. It's nowhere near as important as starting with these expositional or doctrinal resources. But for me, this would consist of reading articles, books, listening to podcasts, or as Mike shared, watching creepy films like The Sixth Sense, you know, whatever works for you. I would also include conversations with my neighbors. I see all of this as like a cultural resource. And though the things I learn from these resources don't tend to take up a lot of room or real estate in my sermon. Personally, I tend to use a lot of the cultural stuff that I'm learning about in my introduction. I don't tend to use it a lot throughout the sermon. So for example, I just taught on friendship last week through First Thessalonians in our church up in Ventura. And so towards the end of my prep, I just started reading you know, articles about friendship and relationship and the current state of things. And that's fine. I tend to use that stuff in my introduction. I do think it's important for helping build a bridge to your hearers, or as I say in my preaching classes, your first five minutes is a why you should stay and why you should care moment. Because man, preaching in LA, like nobody came to my church because like, I mean, I always picture the guy or the girl in the back with their arms folded saying, why should I even stay here? And so I wanna like, you know, at least try to build a bridge like, hey, here's why this matters. Understanding what we're about to say about Jesus and relationships will not only change your life now, it'll change your life forever, or like whatever. Or I wanna show why the issue that we're talking about is is a problem right now. I wanna try to build a bridge to my here, and that's where cultural resources can be helpful. But the priority for me is important. And I would commend to you a similar set of priorities. You start with the expositional resources. We start with the text. Whatever themes and doctrines are related to or come out of that, let the text really set the tone. And then move on to those doctrinal resources to really make sure that you're fitting in with the whole Bible's storyline or better explanations of maybe the doctrinal issues you are going to deal with in that text, and then moving on to the cultural resources. That's the reading plan that I tend to follow. That's how I prioritize my reading. You might do it different, but the principle remains. Prioritize your reading. Don't just read at random. And if you read your cultural resources first, it may even like taint the way that you like order or arrange the sermon. So I'd recommend you start with the text. So that's the first principle. In your sermon prep, prioritize your reading. But let's get really practical. The second principle is plan your rhythms. So prioritize your reading, but you say, well, what does that look like in a week? How do you order that? How do you arrange that? What does it look like for me? How have I helped other people? How do you plan your rhythms? Here's just a few things um, that I put on the screen that are helpful for me. I wish I had learned this early on. I didn't start doing it till later, but I would suggest that you plan your book series way ahead of time. So let's say you have a break at Christmas. Like, try to outline the whole series. For example, we're going through 1 Thessalonians. And so before Christmas, I got away and I had some time to read some initial books about 1 Thessalonians, try to map out the series to see where I'm going, to see which topics I'm gonna be addressing over the course from We're doing it from January all the way to to Easter. I want to outline my series. So if you are able, I know this is not always possible for everyone, but if you are able, take time once or twice in the year to come up with an overview of the book, come up with an outline, how you're going to break up the text, how many verses, how many chapters am I going to cover in this book, and what potential themes and topics you may address This is so important. You can always change it later. I don't always like stick to it per se, but it's so helpful for me. Um, Years ago when I taught the book of Ecclesiastes, I was able to take like two weeks off. I had other people fill the pulpit and I just got all the books that I could on Ecclesiastes and just like buried myself and trying to just wrap my head around the whole book and how in the world, especially with wisdom literature, like Proverbs, like how do I arrange the sermons? Like how am I gonna preach this this year? It was so helpful for me to beforehand plan the series. When I was younger, it was just like, well, what's next? Maybe I'll do verse 13. Maybe I'll go up to verse 20, which is fine for a while, but for me, it was kind of a nightmare. So I would suggest plan your book series ahead of time. Secondly, and this is massive for me, and I think I've learned this the hard way, plan your week to balance preparation and pastoring. We can't just disappear for like five days out of the week or however much time you have and like not lead our people, not take counseling appointments, not deal with emails and correspondence or attend prayer meetings or lead other meetings. or you know, I have a few friends, God bless them. They're like their favorite thing to do is to not be with humans and just read a commentary. But what's sad is oftentimes their lack of leadership and lack of pastoral experience actually comes out in their, in their teaching. So you really do have to plan to balance that, that I'm not just gonna always be with my books, I also need to be with my people. Now, as I've said, I've been in you know, different church sizes and staff sizes, so your week may look a little bit different. In the days of, when I was at Reality LA, we had a larger staff of about 30, and in that case, I had to prioritize my days. So my, Monday was my day off, Tuesday was like all staff meetings and counseling meetings, Wednesday was all leadership meetings, and then I disappeared Thursday and Friday. Thursday was like all my reading and all my research, and then Friday was like my full-on sermon writing day. But I had eight to ten hours in those days to do both. Now, church planners, where it's like the Wild West, or if you don't have that large of a staff, you can't really like, you know, plan out whole days. You have to plan out part of your days. I don't know about you, but I work best in the morning when it comes to thought and writing. So I knew I was gonna have to answer emails. I knew I was gonna have to take up this emergency appointment. And so I would tend to block off for most of my days, at least the morning. So I had a couple hours. I would spread it out throughout the week. On a Tuesday, I'd start reading the expositional commentaries. On a Wednesday in the morning, I'd start reading all the doctrinal stuff. By Thursday, I would start coming up with major themes and some of my outlines. And then by Friday, I would actually start to write out my sermon. I had to prioritize parts of my day. This was especially true when we moved to London to plant a church because it takes like 8 million hours to get anywhere in London. So I knew that, man, I've got to study in the morning and then I got to leave all this room in the afternoon and the early evening to take up all these appointments. And it matters that how you're leading people and how you're pastoring people can often very much inform the way in which you communicate when it comes Sunday or whenever it is that you teach So plan your book series ahead of time that works for me. Plan your week to balance preparation and pastoring. This is a fun one. I also think it's important. Plan to write your sermon throughout the week. I wouldn't recommend writing it all at once. There's a couple reasons for this, but let me just give you one that's personal for me. I think some of you can relate. How many times have you just been in what you believe to be an inspired stream of consciousness You've read the commentaries. You just feel this unction. You're just writing. You're writing. You're like, oh, I'm giving these people prophetic gold. And the next day, I open my laptop, and I read what I wrote the night before, and I'm like, this is trash. This is at what was I thinking? When you do it in one, you know, kind of sitting, you don't notice the tangents or you don't notice the things that maybe you left out, or or maybe you really hit one theme of the sermon because you were just really into it in that moment, but the next day you look at it and you're like, ooh, I need to shorten that section, and I need to lengthen this, because sometimes sermons can be out of balance. Um, I'll use an example. It's um, the guy who actually took over my role um, at Reality Lay. His name's Jeremy Tree. He's amazing, and one time he shared a story of how he had this text that dealt with different ethical issues, and one of them was pornography. But in his sermon, the text itself dealt with a variety of issues, but he spent 70% on the pornography issue and only 30% on the other ethical issues. Now, it was really important what he said about the issue of pornography, but it felt so imbalanced to the rest of the, the text And he realized, man, I just was like on a tangent. I needed, the sermon wasn't really balanced in the way that I was handling the text. And one of the practical ways to guard against that, if you will, is to make sure that you try to spread out your sermon writing. Because sometimes if you're like me, you'll wake up the next morning and say, this is trash. But you get another chance because it's only Thursday, right? And then the fourth part of this is plan to involve feedback in the writing process. This Is so huge. There's different ways to do this. If you have a more structured staff, some people make this more official. You might even have a sermon meeting. I know some churches do that where you actually write your sermon ahead of time, maybe on a Thursday or a Friday. I've been in environments like that. You have to present your sermon at its current state, which is slightly intimidating, to like a room of leaders and they'll give you feedback on it. For most of us, that's not realistic. So, what I have always done especially in the church planning days, is I will call several people or talk to someone in my church and I will try to ideate with them. I'll try to lay out my outline and my intro, where I'm going, how I'm handling the text to try to get feedback. Because a lot of times they point out things that I missed. There's a lot of mistakes that I made and I didn't see it and I got to test it out before you know, bringing it to the pulpit on a Sunday. Because sometimes we're in our own heads. And something that made total sense to me in the moment, didn't really make sense when I was actually presenting it to someone else. Or if you're like me or Mike and you're doing cross cultural ministry, there might be really big mistakes that you can avoid by just talking to the people in your church. Like I had this sermon on Philippians, you know, and Paul's like got his like Hebrew resume, you know, it was like of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, all that. And I counted all his rubbish, you know, it was like I had this sermon. It was a great sermon. It was called Rewriting Your Resume. Oh, the alliteration was there. And then my assistant, she was British, and she's like, we don't use that word. That's like French. I was like, what? Oh, right, CV. It's not res. She's like, resume? What is this rewriting to resume? And I was like, dang it. All my points were built around the resume theme. And I was like, ah, I got to go CV. That doesn't sound good. Involve people in the writing process. Prioritize your reading. Plan out your your rhythms. It's so important. Plan those rhythms. And thirdly, practice your rules. All of us have, what I mean by rules is these kind of, you know, codes or values that you try to stick to throughout the week. And oftentimes we're good at preaching them, but we're not always good at keeping them. We all say that we have practical limits and boundaries, but as pastors and leaders, we all know how that often goes. So here's just three that I would suggest that are very near and dear to my heart in no particular order. Number one, honor the deadline. When does the sermon need to be done? I, I don't know how many of you are parents in the room, but I sacrificed so many hours on a Saturday away from my children because I didn't feel like the sermon was where it needed to be. And I would end up spending another four to six hours on a Saturday because I felt like it just wasn't good enough. Now, in my mind, I was moving the needle forward in a monumental way, but when in fact it was incremental. I thought those extra six hours on a Saturday, like, you know, took my sermon from being like a six out of a 10 to a nine out of 10, when really all it did was make it maybe a 6.1 out of a 10. And the question is, at what cost? My daughter's almost 18 now. She's like, dad, you would just leave on Saturday. I'm like, Like, I need to honor the deadline. There's one author, he wrote a great book on sermon prep, uh, Yancey Arrington. He calls it the Saturday night special. No, not the firearm. It's when you're just like, oh, I gotta work on it a little bit more. I just gotta work on it a little bit more. You know what? Work really hard throughout the week, and if it's Friday at five o'clock and that's your deadline, stop. Leave it with God, love your family, shepherd your people. Honor the deadline. Second, preach to your own heart. It's so easy. We get in our heads. We're like, oh man, my people need to hear this. The lost person needs to hear that. Ooh, this is gonna be good application because that guy's being an idiot and he's lazy and I can't wait to preach this. The irony, of course, is when you have that moment, that person never shows up. Right? Can we talk about this? You're like, oh, this is gonna be so good for Jeremy. And then you're preaching. It's like, he's not here. You're scanning the room. Where is he? This is a prophetic word for you. It just becomes all about the congregation. And I would walk away from my sermon prep and I would just go for a walk and I had to preach the sermon to my heart. God, in what way do you want to make Christ beautiful in my heart? In what way do I just need to like sit with this? In what way is the Holy Spirit convicting my own heart? As Charles Spurgeon said, that the message that is gonna break the heart of the hearer must first break the heart of the preacher. Whether that's the healing or the mending or the conviction or the exhortation like Man, you've got to preach it to your heart. So whatever prep you do, once you're done, go, I just would recommend, go for a long walk and just preach it to your heart. Just like, God, what is it that you're doing in my own heart? I want to experience the grace that is in this text. I want to experience how Christ is present in in this, how I'm being led to Christ. I suppose that leads to the, the last thing, pray like crazy and invite other people to do the same. I don't know how your ministries or your churches are set up, but in our reality churches, we always have these prayer ministries and many of them actually pray during the services, like the Spurgeon boiler room stuff. And my last thing that I do when I'm done with the sermon, I usually try to finish by five o'clock now, I try to follow my rule for the sake of my wife and my family, and they're very happy about it. I send out a prayer email. Whoever prays, just say, hey guys, I'm done with my sermon prep, you need to pray. Because we can arrange the wood, but only God can bring the fire. We need the Holy Spirit. We need people praying. There's a team of people just praying like, pray like crazy, have other people pray, say, hey guys, I'm done with my sermon prep, here's the text, pray into it, pray for Sunday, pray for the preaching the sermon, because man, there's spiritual warfare going on, the devil doesn't want anyone to go to church, definitely doesn't want you to see the glorious truth of Christ in the text, wants to misunderstand the text, make it all about something else, like man, this is war, right? So pray, pray like crazy for your own heart, pray for your congregation, pray for the lost, pray for the believers, and like Martin Jones, Morton Lloyd-Jones said, what is preaching? Preaching is logic on fire. Love that quote. And what brings the the fire? It's the spirit of God. So whatever you do, do your sermon prep, do all the work, you know, as unto the Lord, and then stop, trust the Lord, pray like crazy, and go to sleep and watch what God will do on a Sunday. So those are my principles for sermon prep. They're helpful to me. Hopefully they're helpful for you.
1: All right. Wow. Hey, thanks. That was good. It is unbelievable how Tim fits so much good stuff into only 20 minutes. There was not a wasted syllable. Um, So just to let you know, uh, the events that we host, they're not just monologues from the front. Uh, Nearly every one of the sessions is followed by some aspect of interaction, either in small groups uh, led by the the coach or the mentor or or this one was followed by a Q&A panel um, and so make sure that you're subscribed so that next Tuesday you get to hear Tim as well as Dominic Dunn, Nick Katie and Clay Worrell answer some of the follow-up questions that came at the immediate conclusion of this session. All right. I hope that this podcast uh, our Idaho training events And all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. God bless you.